in this morning. Hey, you get to be here for, uh, for Baptism Sunday. Are you pumped? Yeah. And, uh, and I just apologize for all the guys who had to wear suits or something today because your wife gave me the glare because it was Easter. I apologize. But thank you for wearing it anyway. You all look really, really nice. Ladies, you look much better than they do. And uh, so we're glad that you were here. So let's dive in this morning. One of the things I've been thinking about this week uh, in the context of Easter is this idea of what Easter has devolved into. Like what Easter has devolved into. I'm not going to and I'm not making some political statements up here at all. I'm simply saying it, it's crazy to think about Easter being... This moment of resurrection, right? This, and, and resurrection is a pretty big deal. Someone was really dead, and then they became really alive. They, weren't, they didn't take some sort of pill, make them, Jesus didn't take some sort of thing, to make them, like, it's hard to slow down, like you see, like, a mission impossible, that's just not real, right? That didn't really happen back then, like, he, he literally died, they poked him in the side, his, and, and water came out. I mean, it's like one of those deals, he was really dead. And, and, and so really dead people don't come back to life. And Jesus was really dead. And, and in this moment, God, because he planned it in advance, like he pulled like the one that's like a, he just like pulled one of those moves, like those kind of moves, right? And all of a sudden he's like, hey, you can't do this, but I can because I have all power and all authority. Let me show you what I'm about to do. And so he took Jesus and he raised him from the dead. It's one of the greatest expressions of specifically of authority and power that the world has ever experienced. And somehow... It's devolved into a day where we focus on pastels, cute little bunnies, and colored eggs that smell my, make my house smell bad. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, we go from this expression to pastels. I mean, what's up with that? I mean, I have nothing wrong with pastels in and of themselves, but, but what I was thinking about this expression of, of, like, of power and authority, my, my voice gets deeper, right? Like, I think of the color black. Right, you know what I'm saying? Like, men in black. Like, I see a man in a black suit with black glasses and a black Tahoe, and I'm like, he's powerful. He could beat me up. Right? Because that's more the expression of power. And I started thinking about little bunnies, and I thought to myself, why don't we celebrate lions? Or maybe even better on Easter, panthers. Because they're just really cool. Like, everyone thinks lions powerful, but I'm thinking, like, panthers, like, cool and powerful. It's like, they kind of give you, the, like, you've seen those, like, sleek and, and like, these muscular, like, oh, my gosh, I'm mesmerized by their power, right? So panthers, and so black and panthers, and then, and then maybe, and guys, you're, you're going to get with me on this one. You're going to love this. Instead of Easter eggs, what if we hid medium rare or rare steaks fully cooked? Like, ladies, listen, if you get really frustrated because your husband sits over there, you know, drinking his, his, his like, Arnold Palmer when the kids are doing their thing or sitting inside, if you tell him, babe, I hit a steak out there, so I've got your name on it, like, I'm on this. So, like, knocking kids over getting there, right? Because there's just something about that. It's, like, powerful. And so we talk about this idea of, 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 of Easter and resurrection and the power, and we've, and we've it's devolved into something that it's not. And, and in that, it's like, I want to come back this morning and say, listen, one of the things that has to happen for each of us, when we think about Easter, when we think about the greatest 
expression of power and authority the world's ever known. That Listen, I don't have a problem with pastels and little bunnies and, and colored Easter eggs. We do that at my house. It's fine. But when Easter becomes that and focuses on that and misses the power and expression of authority, of resurrection of God then we need to have what I would call a moment of remembrance. Like we need to have an an awakening of sorts. Like an awakening where we remember the power and the authority of God. So when we come in on Easter, that we, listen, I have no problem with this, you can go do all the other stuff, but that when we come into the moment that we dive into the reality of resurrection, I mean, how crazy that sounds. That there's authority that God expresses in our lives, and we become aware of that. And we wake up and we remember the power of God. You see, when we talk about resurrection, Wolf Hart Pannenberg, some guy you've probably never heard of, but one of the world's probably premier theologians said this about the resurrection. He says, in the resurrection, God validates Everything Jesus ever said and everything he ever did. In the resurrection, God validates everything Jesus ever said and everything Jesus ever did. Well, Steve, what do you mean by this? Leave that that on the screen for a little bit, Hayden. Well, if God were to look across and see someone who had been a liar and a cheat and had just not been a good person... And said, oh, I'm going to raise you. It's as if God is validating everything they ever did and said, right? But no, he, he takes those, he takes one who is perfect, who is holy, and says, because of you, right, I validate you, right? I get behind you, right? I support what you've done and what you've said. Therefore, everything that Jesus ever did, God says, in raising him, I'm getting behind and saying, yes, his words and his actions have weight behind it. I'm giving them validation. They are accurate and they are true. Some of the things that Jesus said, he said in one point in John 10, I and the Father are one. He claims to be God. And in this moment, God validates these words of Jesus. Jesus goes on and says, No one says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And God says, Yep, I validate that. No one comes to me unless they come through the person of Jesus. Salvation is found in no other name and no other person than the person in the name of Jesus. Jesus comes and says this, No longer do I call you servants. I call you friends. And God says, yes, you are now not just servants of God, you are friends, intimate relationship, friendship with God. That, my friends, is crazy right there in and of itself to think that we as fallen beings can have relationship with the exalted being, the, the, the one of all authority. That's crazy to me. He says this, Jesus speaking, talking about the miracles he has done, he says, You can do even greater things than these because I'm going to my Father. Did he mean that? Well, God validates as well. He said it. I get behind him. Yeah, all the miracles and all the healings, all all these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can do those too. Jesus did not validate it. He comes down and says, anyone who believes in me can have eternal life. God says, yep. Anyone who believes in Jesus, believes in his life, death, and resurrection, is willing to follow him, yes, they can live with us for eternity. Jesus said it, 
I validate it. The resurrection, one of the most glorious and powerful ones the world has ever known. And unfortunately, it's devolved, hasn't it? And then we live our lives completely unaware and we take it as a day to celebrate rather than recognizing resurrection as an everyday reality we can live in. And so this morning what I want us to do is I'm going to tell the story. You've heard it before. I'm going to go through the story. I'm going to lay it out. And then we're going to look at three specific pieces from it. Because the things I want you to begin to see in the context of the story, maybe that, that, that leads us to recognize that we've forgotten and something we need to remember. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 23. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You can follow on the screen if you do not have your Bible. I'm going all the way down to chapter 24, verse 12. And it says this. Now, there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. He was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women had come with him from Galilee, followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And they were turned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they arrested according to the commandment. But... On the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. They did not believe them. But Peter rose ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. The first thing I want you to see is these women are perplexed. I mean, these women are doing what you're supposed to do, right? They followed the body, and they're preparing, as they do as their custom, to bring spices and ointments to bring to the body and place in the body, right, for burial. And, and so they, they, they go home, and, and what they're doing is they're experiencing the reality of death. How many of you ever experienced death of someone who's very close to you? Listen, Jesus, listen this, is, this is important. Jesus is the most important person in these women's lives. Like he represents all their hope, all their dreams. Everything in their life is wrapped up and defined by the knowledge of Jesus. And he died. Which meant everything they had dreamed, hoped for, believed in, were longing for, was crushed in the moment. And death is defining this. Like, you know what it's like. Every morning you wake up and it's meeting meeting you. You go through the day and it meets you. You go to bed at night and it it meets you. They're in a serious state of, of mourning. Loss and brokenness is defining their lives. 
And so when they come to the tomb, right, they come and Mark tells us that they were concerned. Who's going to open the tomb for us? Well, we'll just, you know, where there's a will, there's a way, right? Put a woman in charge. Something's going to happen, right? So, so they go down there to the, go down and all of a sudden, boom, they get there. The stone's rolled away. And they're like, what's going on, right? They run in and there's no body. And then on top of our law, two glowing men we know as angels from the other Gospels are ever going, why do you look for the living among the dead, silly people? Right? Why are you here? And they're sitting there, and the scripture says that they are perplexed. And you all intuitively know what perplexed means. You know the feeling, don't you? You know the look people get when they look at you and they're perplexed, right? They're unperplexed, unable to understand something clearly, unable, unable to think clearly. The Bible dictionary says to be without a way to go, to be at wit's end. So they're sitting in the moment, and they feel like, they're like, ah, like they're like torn, like what do we do? What's going on? Oh, they're perplexed. Right? They're at wit's end. They're like, we don't know what to do. Right? They're unable to understand what is happening, and they cannot think clearly. In the context of, of death, in the context of crucifixion, in the context of loss, in the context of brokenness, in the context of, listen, of every, listen, could you imagine every single hope and dream in your life crushed? And they're in that, and someone's saying, he's not dead. He's alive. And they're like, <laughs> Right? What do we do? What do we do? So focused in the moment on their own suffering in the morning. Verse 6 tells us, though, these angels, these men look at them and says, remember how he told you. Listen, guys, this is, this is huge. They look at them and say, all right, you've been focusing on, on death and on grieving. But honestly, people, you could have been focused on resurrection and life. So you have to recognize this. They're in the midst of mourning on their way to the tomb. And Jesus has already been raised from the dead. Life has already come again. The, the tomb has already been emptied. Jesus is no longer there. Life has already come. Resurrection has already come. But they're still focused on mourning. They're still focused on death. And they look and say, don't you remember? The remembering here, listen, it means to recall to mind. Not something we've necessarily forgotten. Just something we're not thinking of in the moment. So we get to November. I'll write this down. November 14th is my birthday. I like gifts, right? So November 14th is coming. And like three or four days before, you walk up to me because you know my birthday's coming. You say, Steve, Steve. I'm like, what? Your birthday's almost here. And I say, oh, man, I forgot about I just forgot, right? Did I really forget my birthday? No. It's the most important day of my life growing up, right? My birthday, the day around that revolves around me. I hadn't forgotten. I wasn't thinking about it. And so in the moment, these, literally, these women says, do you remember? It's not that they have literally forgotten something in a sense that like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. No, there is this memory. They're like, 
Yeah, and so what they do is they, 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 they say to them, Jesus, He has been raised from the dead, just as He said. Do you not remember? And all of a sudden they recall three moments in, the, in, in Luke, Luke 9.22, the son, that Jesus said with them in their presence, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed, and on the third day be raised. 9.44, He said, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. And then just a, a couple of weeks earlier, it's only a couple of weeks earlier, in chapter 18, 31-33, Jesus said, And taking the twelve, He said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Think Isaiah 53, those who know it. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked, shamefully treated. He will be spit upon. And after flogging him and beating him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. And they're sitting there going, and being perplexed, all of a sudden, this memory this memory is coming too, and all of a sudden, what begins to happen? The dawning in their own heart begins to break because they're realizing, could this be the case? Could it really be that Jesus has been raised? Is it true what He said? And they're sitting there in the moment, and verse 8 tells us, number 3, verse 8 says, And they remembered. That should be a hallelujah chorus, because... In the moment, right? Remembering is powerful. Because all of a sudden they recall what Jesus said. I will rise again. Mary Magdalene, I mean, she's the, she's the lucky one here. John tells us that every, the other, lady ran, other ladies ran back, but Mary's still looking around and she comes across the gardener and says... And she's like, he's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, can you please tell me where they placed the body? And it's Jesus. And Jesus says her name, Mary. And she falls on her knees saying, Rabboni, teacher. And I just disappears. It's like all of a sudden she runs back and she's no longer saying, well, Jesus said he would raise. No, she, Jesus spoke to me. He was with me. He's alive, right? And all of a sudden what happens in remembrance, this focus on death, the focus on suffering, the focus on the world coming to an end and hopes dying and aspirations being killed, all of a sudden comes roaring back to life. Because Jesus has been resurrected, God has validated everything He ever said and He ever did, and their hearts and their lives become awakened. Listen, Easter cannot devolve. It cannot. Because resurrection reality is something for us every day. We, like these women... Unfortunately, we find ourselves so often, don't we, defined by death, defined by frustration, defined by anxiety, defined by the, the, the temptations and the struggles of our world, and we live in this defeatist mentality, take, preparing for death. And Jesus says, I am raised. Do you not remember? 
When we come to Easter, we celebrate resurrection. We celebrate life. Not for somebody else. We don't celebrate that Jesus came to life. He, he, listen, we celebrate that He came to give life and give it abundantly. We sit here in this moment, right? And we think about power expressed, authority expressed. We celebrate the reality of Easter, the reality of resurrection, of what Jesus has done. It's not pastels, fluffy bunnies, and colored eggs. Thank Jesus. It is resurrection. And in this moment, we say, why am I perplexed? We live in this place of being perplexed in our own life because of everything going on around us. And Jesus is saying, we need to remember, I am your God. I am your creator. I am your friend. I am your savior. I was resurrected so you have eternal life to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit to give us life through him. And so my question is real simple for Easter. What are you walking in? Has it devolved in your own heart and mind? Or do you know him in this fullness and you are now walking in the resurrection life? Does that mean everything's perfect and I'm happy all day long? No, of course not. We live in a fallen world. But it does mean in the midst of my broken places, in the midst of hell breaking loose against me, in the place of feeling isolated and alone, God says, I will give you rest. I will be your friend. I will love you. I will be with you. I am enough. And we say yes. And resurrection. You are God. I am friends with Creator God. I know Him. I am loved by you. And resurrection comes alive. Three questions, real simple. In what ways are you perplexed? In what ways is being perplexed defining your life? In the words of you too, right? What, are you stuck in a moment and you can't get out of it? Right? Like, what's, what moment are you stuck in? What's going on in your life? What is defining your reality? And Jesus says in the moment, there's resurrection. I can be with you. There is life even in the midst of difficulty. What perplexes you in the endness? What do you need to remember? Like, there's a couple different things in this. Number one, I remember the words of Jesus from Scripture. Those are alive to me. He's come to give me eternal life. He's come that I might know Him intimately, right? We love the words of Scripture. But for those of you who have been Christians for a long time, and God's spoken to you in your own relationship with Him, in your prayer time, unique words that are in, unique to your relationship with Him, Call, listen, callings that he has on your life, things that he has for you. Do you remember those? Or do you live life defined by your felt reality around you? And he wants you to reawaken to what he has for you. And the great beautiful thing is this. At this point then, remember it every day. Right? That's it. That's the resurrection life. It's just remembering. I wake up every day. Jesus, thank you for the resurrection today. Bam, here I go. I'm living today. The resurrection life. All hell, it will break loose against me, but I don't care because I have you. I will walk in your power and you will be with me all along the way.
And if I get wounded, you will heal me. If someone around me gets wounded, then I will heal them in the power of Jesus. Right? If I'm alone, then you will be with me. If someone is alone, then I will be with them. We live this resurrection life, and we remember it every day of our lives, walking with Him. Resurrection happened. It is our reality, in spite of circumstances, every day for those who believe. So close your eyes this morning as we go into, as we end our time this morning. A couple of things as we talk through this before we go into baptism this morning. Take a deep breath. Forget about the people beside you. Jesus didn't bring you here so you can hold hands with the person next to you. He brought you here so he wanted to interact with you. Connect with him. Find him. Jesus wants you to see him. Ask yourself this morning, are you living in the place of resurrection? Is your life marked by resurrection? Do people around you think that you...